um, verses 1 to 12 to the passage that we read earlier. And let's pray. Father, we thank you that the boundless grace that we've just sung about uh, would indeed be real for each of us here today, a grace that is able to cover all our sin and do away with all our uncleanness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. One of the horrible things about the recent COVID pandemic was the way it isolated people from each other. Early on, especially when people were dying, their loved ones were not allowed to see them or visit them, never mind hold them or hug them as their life slipped away. And later on, when things had relaxed a little, visiting a COVID-positive loved one uh, in hospital still meant wearing a gown and gloves and a face mask. Now, I'm not going to enter the debate today whether such measures were necessary or the right thing or the best thing to do. But I will make this point. If, if our leaders in a modern, medically advanced world felt the need to put such measures in place in 2020 and beyond, how much more necessary were they in a time before hospitals, before antibiotics and before vaccines? In a time when diseases like leprosy and typhoid and polio and diphtheria and measles and whooping cough, cholera were common and deadly. And of course still are in many places of the world today. So we can understand even from a public health perspective, the necessity of the strict laws given to Moses by God to protect the Israelites from infectious diseases, uh, especially, especially as they traveled through the wilderness as one big camp of people. You can imagine that something infectious or contagious would spread like wildfire through such a, a gathering of people. But having said that, to follow the law of Moses was a hard road for anyone to travel. Uh, we read earlier in Leviticus 13, verses 45 and 46, how anyone with such a, a disease uh, affecting the skin, it was something visible and visual, uh, so anyone affected with such a, a defiling disease must tear their clothes or wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. And they were to live alone and live outside the camp. They were desperately isolated and cut off. They were cut off from home, from family, from friends, from neighbors, from work, from worship, from the local community and from the worshiping community. They couldn't wear decent clothes. They couldn't enter a town or a village or a shop. They had to live in caves and remote places, and they were reduced to begging. And from a distance, if they saw anyone coming, they had, coming, they had to shout, unclean and unclean, and stay away, don't come near, because if you touch me, you too will become unclean. You too will have to cut yourself off even for a short time, but if you get the disease that I have, maybe for a long time. 
So in Luke chapter 5, verse 12, the first verse of our reading today, there actually is something astonishing about a man who, well, the word for leprosy covers a lot of skin diseases, but let's say that he did have leprosy. There's something astonishing about a man with leprosy approaching Jesus inside a town. And I think that's why Luke writes the word behold in the middle of verse 12, even if it's not translated. Uh, interestingly, it's not translated, I think, even in the ESV, never mind the NIV, but it's there in the original behold. While Jesus was in one of the towns, behold, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. What's he doing coming into town? The man is clearly in a desperate state. And people in desperate situations do desperate things, don't they? And it was Luke, the doctor, who tells us he was covered in leprosy, literally full of leprosy. Uh, we saw previously, didn't we, how, how, how Luke is the only one who tells us that Simon Peter's mother-in-law had a high fever, not just a fever. And Luke, again, of all the gospel writers, is the only one who tells us the kind of detail that this man was covered from head to toe, full of leprosy. So his condition is severe. It is incurable. It is hopeless in human terms. He is in a desperate situation, but he has heard something that gives him hope. He has heard about Jesus of Nazareth. He has heard that Jesus of Nazareth can help people like him. And more than that, do you notice that he has faith that believes Jesus of Nazareth can help people like him? The question is, is Jesus willing to help him? Verse 12 again, while Jesus was in one of the towns, behold, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. You can make me clean. So, Three points for the rest of the sermon today. First of all, humble faith in Jesus. We're going to see humble faith in Jesus. And then secondly, we're going to see the powerful mercy of Jesus. And then lastly, we'll see how Jesus fulfills all righteousness. Jesus fulfills all righteousness. So firstly then, humble faith in Jesus. Some people treat Jesus or treat God like a, a genie. Uh, in a bottle, that God is there to grant us all our wishes. And all we have to do is to, to rub the lamp and the genie will appear and grant us everything we want. But in such a relationship, if that is our view of God or the Lord Jesus Christ, it is not God or Jesus who is the master, is it? It's the one who's rubbing the lamp, who's calling the shots and has the power. I how different that is, how different that is to what we see today and how we saw Simon Peter react last week in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Do you remember how Simon Peter fell at Jesus' knees in the middle of the boat that was groaning, about to sink so full of fish? And here again we see humility in action. The unclean man fell with his face to the ground before Jesus. That speaks of humility, doesn't it? He bowed with his face to the ground and his words are humble. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. 
This man is making no demands. He's making no demands. He's not claiming. He's not claiming healing for himself because of his faith. He's not saying, I believe, Lord, I believe, therefore you must make me clean. No, that's not what he's saying. He comes to Jesus, bows low before Jesus. He knows he is a beggar before Jesus. Yes, he trusts in Jesus' ability to heal, but does not presume upon Jesus' willingness to heal. It's the kind of faith, isn't it? It's the kind of faith that the Lord always responds to. Humble and helpless. Coming with empty hands as a beggar before him. Hoping and trusting. Yes, hoping and trusting, but not presuming. I wonder if you've ever come to Jesus like that. Recognizing that you and I are in no position to make a bargain with Jesus but can only implore him as a beggar. Earlier we sang in George Wesley's hymn, the second verse, Other refuge have I none. That was a slightly modernized version. So the second line said, All my hope in you I see. Other refuge have I none. All my hope in you I see. But there's better poetry in the original, uh, which one of the commentators, Dale Ralph Davis, quotes. And you may know it, Other refuge have I none. Hangs my helpless soul on thee. Hangs my helpless soul on thee. And the man with leprosy, he has come to hang his helpless soul on Jesus. He has come to hang his helpless soul on Jesus. And do you and I have such a humble, helpless faith in Jesus? The kind of faith which Jesus will always respond to. Humble faith in Jesus. Well, secondly, then, the powerful mercy of Jesus. The powerful mercy of Jesus. Jesus didn't need to touch the man, did he? He didn't need to touch him. He could have said a few words and the man would have been healed. But in verse 13, we read that Jesus stretched out his hand, reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And once again, we see the power and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ over every kind of sickness. Uh, the man's healing, it happens immediately and completely. But more than that, we see how Jesus removes the man's uncleanness, which, did you notice, is what the man asked for. That's what he asked for. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me not better, not well, but clean. Because it was the uncleanness and the exclusion and the isolation that went with the disease. That was the worst thing about his life. The consequences of the disease. And the man, of course, wonderfully discovered that Jesus was willing. He was willing as well as able to make him clean again. Uh, Bruce Springsteen, uh, some of you will know who I mean, the American, uh, I suppose you would call him a rock and roll singer, for better. Anyway, Bruce Springsteen, he's in Ireland uh, this weekend. And uh, he has a song, some of you might know it, called Human Touch. Human Touch. 
And, and in it, Bruce Springsteen sings about how he wants, this is the, the lyric, just a little of that human touch. Just a little of that human touch. When was the last time this man had felt even a little of the human touch? When was the last time this man had someone stretch out a hand to him in love and not snatched away in terror and disgust? Now, I know, and I want to say this because it's important today, I, I know we have to be wary of inappropriate human contact, especially in this day and age and especially between the sexes. And as Christians, we have to be above reproach in this area. And if in doubt, keep your hands to yourself is a good maxim, a good motto. But having said that, I recognize, as, as surely you do, that and not just as a pastor or a doctor, but as a human being, that the value of physical contact, human touch, when it is done appropriately, wisely and in a godly manner. We are physical, relational beings. And isn't that what made the COVID lockdown so hard for so many? You see, being able even to shake someone's hand or to put a hand on their shoulder, human touch, when it's done appropriately, sensitively and wisely, is both precious and therapeutic. It is both precious and therapeutic. It is healing. Because it says, I, I am with you. I care for you. I'm not put off by the fact that you're demented or you're doubly incontinent or you've got leprosy. I'm not going to walk away from you. And Jesus is sending a powerful message to this man with his human touch. I'm not going to avoid you. I'm not going to shrink back from you. I'm going to connect with you. And by connecting with you, by touching you, I'm going to reconnect you to your home, to your family, to your neighbors to your community, to your worshiping community, to the family of God's people. I'm going to restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. I'm going to open a door of hope out of this valley of trouble, this valley of Achor that you have been in. Let's apply what we've seen here of the powerful mercy of Jesus to ourselves uh, in a couple of ways. Firstly, it is important to say that here and now, the Lord will not always cure all our diseases. Here and now, he will not always cure all our diseases, but he will always take away all our uncleanness. Always. I said earlier that Jesus always responds to the kind of faith the man showed, humble, helpless, empty-handed faith, trusting Jesus, but not presuming. Jesus may not always respond in the way that we want, otherwise we have made him simply a genie in a bottle. No, the Lord may not always respond in the way we want if our prayer is for healing. 
The day will come. Yes, hallelujah. The day will come when all diseases are gone and all illnesses will be gone forever when Jesus returns. But here and now, here and now, the Lord will take away, always take away all our uncleanness when we come to him with empty hands, empty hands in faith. Uh, quoted from Charles Wesley's hymn earlier, which we sang. But here's another hymn which I, well, I may have sung it before, but I didn't remember it. It's quoted again by dear Ralph Davis, Joseph Hart, I think 18th century writer of hymns. Come ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, joined with power. Come ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, joined with power. Mercy married with majesty. Greatness and grace. Jesus is ready, 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 willing and able to take away all our sin and all our uncleanness. And by so doing, to end our exile, to reconnect us to God, and by reconnecting us to God, to reconnect us with each other through the gospel. The Lord will not always cure all our diseases here and now, but he will always take away all our uncleanness. But then secondly, as a word of application, as followers of Jesus, as Christians, those who are in Christ, how good are we at following Jesus' example? How good are we at welcoming the unclean? The people who are shunned and avoided by everyone else, and maybe, if we're honest, we avoid them too. Or do we recognize that Jesus has a heart for them? Do we realize that through Jesus, they also have a right, so to speak, they also have a right to receive God's blessing in the gospel and to be made clean. Years ago in the 80s and perhaps the early 90s when I was working in infectious diseases and HIV AIDS, often those who had HIV AIDS were treated like modern day, and I hesitate to use the word, but you know what I mean when I say lepers, modern day lepers, people with leprosy. And today, I don't know, is it drug addicts? Is it alcoholics? Is it people with twisted personalities? Is it the prisoners who have committed the most awful crimes? Is our gospel just for respectable people? Is it just for people like us? Or is our gospel the gospel of Jesus Christ? Good news for the rejected, the excluded, the unloved, and the unwelcomed. The good news of Jesus Christ is that he is full of mercy for the unclean. He can make us clean again. And he can make anyone who comes to him clean again, no matter how dirty they are. The powerful mercy of Jesus. Let's, let's remember that, folks. Give thanks 
for his mercy in our lives and do not ration it. Do not ration it to respectable people. Remember how Jesus welcomed sinners and ate with them. So we've seen humble faith in Jesus. We've seen the powerful mercy of Jesus. And then thirdly, and lastly, Jesus who fulfills all righteousness. Which is a phrase taken from Matthew 3 verse 15. Jesus fulfills all righteousness. Jesus said he did not come to abolish the law. Matthew 5 verse 17 in the Sermon on the Mount. He did not come to abolish the law but to fulfill it. Yes, Jesus had no time for man-made regulations. The Pharisees' extra rules that they had added on as a huge burden on top of the law. But when it came to the law of Moses, the law of God given through Moses, Jesus kept the law. He fulfilled all righteousness. So Jesus, in verse 14, ordered the man that he had just healed, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them, as a witness to them. And you see, the Old Testament system of sacrifices and purification had not yet been done away with. And in commanding this man to keep the law, and you can read uh, later on, if you want to read Leviticus 14, of the whole lengthy process, seven or eight days of different types of sacrifices and cleaning and shaving and bathing and sacrificing. But in commanding this man to keep the law, Jesus is pointing us to two things. To two things. Firstly, by going to the priest, who's like the public health inspector, you know, can give you a certificate of cleanness. By going to the priest, the man would bear witness or testimony to the greatness of Jesus. The man would bear witness to the testimony or testify to the greatness of Jesus. Because what could the Jewish priests do? They could not make anyone clean. The Jewish priests could not make anyone clean. They could declare that someone was clean. If someone was healed of their disease and came to them, they could only pass a verdict on what had already happened. But Jesus had made the man clean with a touch and a few words. And you see how the man's obedience to the law of Moses bore witness to the greatness and goodness of Jesus. And I know it's a particular, a specific incident here, but I wonder if there's a general application of how for us as Christians, does our obedience to the law of God, not the ceremonial and ritual law that's been set aside in Christ, but does our obedience to the moral law of God testify to others about the forgiving, cleansing power of Jesus in our lives? You see what I'm saying there? The man obeyed the law of Moses and by so doing testified to the Jesus who had cleaned him. Shouldn't our obedience to God's law similarly testify to the cleansing power of Christ in our lives? Secondly, under this point of Jesus instructing the man, showing us a couple of things. The second thing is this. Why, why had the Old Testament system of sacrifice and purification not yet been done away with? 
Well, it's because Jesus, the one to whom all the sacrifices and all the purifications pointed, had not yet laid down his life, had not yet shed his blood on the cross. So, what happened when this man went to the priest? Well, as I say, you can, you can read at length in Leviticus 14 later. But right at the beginning of the process, before the man could be declared officially clean by the priest, before he could be let back into the community of God's people, two birds were needed. One of the birds was killed, and its blood was dripped into a clay pot full of water. The second bird, which was still alive, was then taken and dipped into the pot along with a piece of cedar wood, along with a bunch of hyssop leaves, and along with a piece of scarlet crimson yarn. So they would all be dipped into the blood of the first bird that had been killed. Then the man, the man who had been healed by Jesus, who had been cleansed by Jesus, was sprinkled seven times with the blood. And the second bird, what happened to the second bird? Does anybody know what happened to the second bird, do you think? It was let free, let go to be free. It was released to go free in the open fields. The first bird died. And the second bird that was dipped in the blood of the first was set free. The first bird died, and the man who was sprinkled with the blood seven times, who had been unclean, was sprinkled and declared to be clean. And it's a spotlight, isn't it? It's a clear spotlight shining from the Old Testament onto Jesus, onto the person of Jesus. It's a spotlight that falls on the figure of a man hanging on a cross. Where is the cross? Where is the cross of Christ? Outside Jerusalem, outside the city walls, outside the camp where the unclean people are. And here is a man without sin, Jesus, the God-man, the God-man, who though clean is shedding his blood for the unclean. He is dying, cut off, isolated, alone in a way that no one in the history of humanity has ever been. Cut off. Close. In the place he is dying, cut off and alone in the place of the unclean. And you see, here, here is how we who are trapped in the prison of our sinful uncleanness can fly free like a bird into the holy presence of God. Free like a bird. I think that's a Leonard Skinner song, if I'm not mistaken. But we can fly free like a bird into the holy presence of God. Here is how we who are outside the camp in our uncleanness and city can come inside, inside, into the holy city, into the city of Zion, in among the people of God as Jesus exchanges his place for ours and ours for his. Here is how the, here is how the cut off and the thrown out 
are brought back into the family of God's people, sprinkled with the blood of Christ, cleansed and restored to fellowship with God, and brought into the community and communion of God's people. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, you can make us clean again. Amen. Let's pray. Father, what a blessing, what a gift, what a grace that the one who knew no uncleanness should become unclean for us so that we in him might be clean and set free to fly away, fly into the presence of you, our holy God, yourself. Father, we thank you for the sprinkled blood of Jesus. It speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We thank you, Father, that while the blood of Abel cries out for vengeance and justice, the blood of Jesus cries out for mercy, justice having been satisfied. So, Father, help us as we hear the word of the gospel and as we see the gospel in action through the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Help us to believe. Help us to receive. Help us to be made clean. In Jesus' name. Amen.